There's a dangerous movement in evangelicalism known as the New Apostolic Reformation, and they literally claim that in, well, in the past few decades, God has restored apostles and prophets to the church. Chris Rosebro talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. In my presentation, I'll be making the case against modern-day apostles and prophets. As part of the presentation, we'll be talking about who's teaching this ecclesiology, the inherent dangers of it, but also what's at the root of it, and that is a false understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can meet and hear Chris Rosebro making the case against modern-day prophets and apostles Friday, June 9th and Saturday, June 10th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. As often as we can, we invite Pastor Chris Rosebro fighting for the faith alongside on a Friday to review this week in Pop American Christianity today. Well, we do often criticize, and rightly so, Pop American Christianity, the big box churches, for avoiding the message of the cross. We're going to be hearing examples of, well, the narrative at least, of of the cross in a sermon series on the seven words of Jesus from the cross. That seems like be a pretty good thing. Pastor Chris Rosebro is pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and host of the daily internet talk show called Fighting for the Faith. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Todd. So we do rightly criticize big box churches and pop American evangelicalism for avoiding the cross sermon after sermon after sermon. And here we're going to be listening to examples of a sermon series on the seven words of Jesus from the cross. At least they're talking about the cross. This has to be a good thing, right? Yeah, you'd think. Um, unfortunately, you have to understand the major premise behind what's called purpose-driven preaching. Years ago, I actually attended a conference and was the invited guest of Rick Warren at a purpose-driven community conference. And while I was at the conference, uh, Rick Warren gave several lectures on what it means to uh, have purpose-driven sermons. And these are sermons designed to, as he describes it, uh, bring somebody to repentance without actually talking about the word repentance. And it needs to be relevant in a way that somebody can apply the principles to their life. And so in the purpose-driven preaching parlance, every text, and I'm not making this up, becomes a law text a text by which we must find principles that we must apply to our lives in order to make them better. And uh, Chris Hodges, the vision casting leader of Church of the Highlands in Alabama, he is a one of the top students of Rick Warren in this sense. And what we're going to be listening to are samples from an entire sermon series where they break up the seven words of Jesus from the cross, and I, I'm not making this up. It, they are looking not to preach the gospel. They are looking for relevant principles that everybody there can apply to their lives in order to make them better. And the, the major premise behind the sermon series is that Jesus on the cross was his experiencing 
a very bad day, probably the worst day of his life. And if we look at the words that he said on the cross, he's teaching us how we too can apply certain principles. So if we find ourselves in the worst day of our lives, we too can survive the worst day of our life. I'm not making this up. It's it's just reprehensible if you if you really consider what's going on here. So what you're saying here is nothing is sacred when it comes to this method of preaching. You say the purpose-driven method of preaching. You would think that when they got to the passion narratives, they would stop trying to mine the text for this kind of narcissistic, what little moral message can I learn from this that will help me improve my day? Nothing is sacred. No, nothing's off off limits. No, nothing's off limits, which basically demonstrates that in their way of thinking, theologically, there is no biblical text that is actually gospel. Every text becomes law. That's really the implications of what it is that we're going to hear. So what's up first here, Chris? All right, we're going to, the first, we're going to let Chris, I mean, what I've just said sounds so far-fetched, it's best if we let the vision-casting leader of Church of the Highlands explain to us the premise behind the entire series. So the first soundbite we're going to listen to is Chris Hodges explaining to us what it is that they're doing in this sermon series on the seven words of Jesus from the cross. But in this series, we've been looking at the seven statements that Jesus made while he hung on the cross. Now, you have to go to all four Gospels to get the seven statements. No no one Gospel covers all seven of them. But here's the thesis of the series, and that is these statements weren't just statements. They in themselves were lessons. So while he was there paying for sin, which was the main purpose of him going to the cross, he's still teaching us something. We call that day in Christianity, the day is called Good Friday. But it wasn't good for him. It was just good for us. That's why we call it Good Friday. It was a horrific day, a a day of suffering, pain, humiliation, rejection. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible day. And he's going through his worst day. And these seven statements give us life lessons, ways we can handle our own worst day. Here's the verse that's our theme verse. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race we're in, and you can actually study how he did it. Okay, Chris, he, he did admit that the main purpose of Jesus being there on the cross was the payment for sin. Why doesn't he want to preach the main purpose? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you'd think that he needs to hear along with, I mean, like, like myself, he needs to hear that Christ has died for our sins. But apparently, that's just so passe. So we're, we're not going to focus on the main purpose, but we're going to invent a secondary purpose. And, and have you, I don't know if you've, uh, you know, when I, my kids were really little, we used to read lots and lots of books to them. And one of my kids' favorite books was Alexander and the No Good, Very Bad Day. And I feel like what I'm listening to with this, not preaching on the main purpose, and it's like almost like we have, well, we got to admit, that's really what's going on here, but we're not going to preach about that. Instead, we're going to preach about the cross somehow teaching Alexander to get through his no good, very bad day, as if there's like a secondary reason why Jesus is doing these things on the cross. And it's, I, it's just mind-boggling why are you not 
placarding Christ and him crucified for our sins. It's it I don't I don't know how else to explain this except for maybe we're dealing with a tacit form of unbelief where they've t- so twisted God's word and don't rightly understand law and gospel in their proper proportions that at the end of the day they are really saying we although we give lip service to the cross we're not going to preach it because we don't think it's all that important. Well, there's something here that, and you talk about this being on the verge of unbelief, because I'm asking myself the question, who could look at the narrative of what Christ went through and simply classify it as just a really, really bad day, first of all? Uh, that offers no clarity as to, this. it's not like these things were accidents, occurring in Jesus' life. These are the things that God has foreordained from before the foundation of the world for his son to suffer on our behalf. And I'm wondering how anyone could look at these narratives and say, yeah, 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 payment for sin, but the real thing we need this Sunday, and I think his term was life lessons. Yeah. I I don't I don't have an explanation for this. This is the theology of uh, uh, Monty Python's The Life of Brian. You know, there there they are all hanging on the cross, and they decide to you know to sing a song, and the song is always look on the bright side of life. I mean, th- it's just moralistically bizarre, is the best way I can put it. I mean, there's Jesus, God in human flesh. The, the 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 god who has no beginning has no end born of the virgin mary and he is literally has all of the sins of the world imputed to him and he has become the sinner and he's drinking to the dregs from the goblet of the fury of the wrath of god so that we can be pardoned and forgiven and we go yeah, okay, that's that's the main thing that's going on, but let's not talk about that. Let's let's talk about the real life lessons here. And when you do that, I mean, I I I don't know what to talk about at this point except for this is this is a spiritual blindness for which the only solution is God opening their eyes to their wickedness because they are intentionally refusing to look at the thing that they very much rec- recognize is the main thing going on in this text. And and yet, because Chris Hodges is such a nice guy, and they have so many multi-site campi, and they're so successful uh, numerically, clearly this is okay with God that we just not focus on what Jesus actually did for us. So we heard him lay out the premise of the sermon series. What are we going to hear next? All right, so we're going to walk through uh, some sound bites from the series itself, and we're going to do this in reverse order. Chris Hodges is going to explain to us the life lesson in principle when Jesus said, it is finished. It says after he received that drink, uh, they offered up on a sponge, uh, bitter gall, the Bible says. Jesus said, it is finished. Now, this statement is mistakenly thought of as the final statement. And it wasn't, and it's important for you to know because that's the lesson. Because he makes the statement even though it wasn't finished. See, uh, he, he hadn't given up his life yet. In fact, there is one final statement that where he would breathe his last 
and he would give his life for you and me. But he makes this statement in the middle of his suffering, which is the lesson for us today. And that is, I know I'm still hurting and I know I'm in pain, but I also know it's finished. Like God is doing something and, 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 and I know this is what it looks like now, but this is not how it's going to turn out. And so here's the lesson. And I love this. It's just a powerful statement that will help you through the worst of your days. And that is you need to be assured that there is a purpose and an end. Be assured. I love that word assured. And, and my, my dream today, my hope, my prayer is that you're going to leave here today perhaps Perhaps not with the answers to all your problems and maybe not even any solutions. We're certainly praying for that. But I would love for you to leave here. Look at me. I would love for you to leave here today with some assurance that everything that you suffer has a purpose and it is coming to an end very soon. So he took the words of Christ that are a declaration of no greater word has ever been uttered by man. When he says it is finished, that the the saving purpose of God has been brought to its completion and sin sin has been paid for. And what did he do with it? Um, <laughs> he hijacked it. I think that's the best way I could describe it. So we go from to tell us die it is finished to the life lesson that is that if you're going through a really bad day, don't worry. I want you to have assurance. Notice he didn't say, I want you to have assurance that your sins are forgiven and paid for and that the wrath of God has been satisfied by the vicarious penal substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. No, no, no. That's not the kind of assurance he wants you to have. He wants you to have the assurance that that what you're going through has a purpose and that it, it will actually have an end sometime in the future. How is that any different than there's a light at the end of the tunnel, there's a silver lining to every dark cloud? This is platitudinous. Yeah, this is platitudinous. This is always look on the bright side of life. At least with the Monty Python song, they were whistling, you know. It's kind of a catchy tune. But this is exactly that. You know, there I am crucified, but hey, always look on the bright side of life. There's a purpose behind all of this, and it won't last forever, so just hang in there. You know, and, and people are writing notes going, oh, this is the best thing ever. I, I now have assurance that what I'm going through will eventually come to an end and that there's some meaning behind it. So I'm just going to hang in there during the dark darkest day of my life. And so Jesus' suffering has given me an example of keeping a stiff upper lip, if you would, and, and enduring to persevere. And it's, I mean, this is the kind of stuff I could get from a greeting card. I, 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 wow, talk about missing the point of the text altogether. Pastor Chris Rosebro is our guest. We're going through some examples of twisting the passion narrative of Christ, a sermon series preached by Chris Hodges on the seven words of Jesus from the cross as an example of this week in pop American Christianity. Chris is host of the daily internet talk show called Fighting for the Faith. More with him after the break.
faith in American Christianity is most often seen as an act of will. It's a desire, it's an attitude, it's a habit. Pastor Todd Peppercorn, on his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case conference, making the case for a Lutheran view of depression. But what happens when you have a mental illness? Whether we're talking about depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, or any number of mental illnesses, all of these mess with your brain, your ability to interact with the outside world. How does God work in that kind of circumstance? You can meet and hear Pastor Todd Peppercorn June 9th and 10th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, just look for the Making the Case logo at issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Do you know the five things you definitely should not hear in an Easter sermon? Better still, would you recognize the five things you absolutely should? Here's a hint. Expect to hear Jesus. Read the April edition of The Lutheran Witness to learn more. Not a subscriber? Go to cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness for a special offer of six issues for only $6.99. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness. Daily worship, historical hymnody, and catechesis interwoven with direct instruction in phonics, traditional math, literature, grammar, history, Latin, and strings. It's part of our daily life at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois, the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. We're located one mile off Interstate 55. For more information, visit school.stpaulhamill.org. We would love to share our joy in learning with your child. school.stpaulhamill.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Chris Rosebro is our guest of Fighting for the Faith. It's this week in Pop American Christianity. Some examples of twisting the passion narrative of Christ. So, before the break, we heard it is finished, turned into, as you said, always look on the bright side of life, don't worry, this too shall pass, kind of a thing or a platitude. What does uh, Chris Hodges have for us next by way of twisting the passion narrative. All right. So the next bite, we're going to hear from Chris Irwin. He's one of the campus pastors there at uh, Church of the Highlands, and he's going to address what Jesus says regarding I thirst, apparently what it actually means for us in a relevant life principle kind of way. And it says this, that uh, later, knowing that all was now completed. So he's kind of at the end of his life, in, in probably the final moments of his suffering, and he's there on the cross, and and now that it's all been completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, and I would even say so that we would have hope, he says these three words, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. And so it's in those statements, in that one statement, that we see that even if if the Son of God had a moment that he was vulnerable, that he had a moment where he realized he needed help, It just tells us that there's no one that is so spiritual, there's none of us that are so self-sufficient that we are strong enough to make it through a bad day without asking for help. 
And I think it's a powerful statement. And for that reason, we're going to study today this statement. Write it down, if you will. Here's our lesson. Be human enough to acknowledge your need. Okay, Chris, what are your thoughts there? I I want to bang my head against a brick wall. (laughs) I mean, really? Seriously. The lesson that Jesus was trying to convey to us because he was helping us understand the secrets of getting through a really bad day is don't be afraid to ask for help and know your limitations. I mean, I just, I don't even have words for this. This is utterly bizarre. There is our Lord and Savior, the creator of the universe, who is omnipresent, who is omniscient, and is all-powerful, literally languishing to the point where he is saying, I am thirsty. And this is because he is literally roasting under the wrath of God in our place because God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. And we've turned this into, see, Jesus was kind of kind of going wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm showing you guys that when you're having a bad day, don't be afraid to ask for help. (laughs) What? I don't know what to do with this. This is ridiculous. There, this is not exegesis. I, I don't even know what to call this. The, the, the term, so, so we can write, rightly understand it, the, the term that comes to mind when Jesus is there parched on the cross is that he has fully entered into not only our humanity— uh, which is kind of a little bit of what Chris Irwin might have been acknowledging, although passing by. But he, he, this is, I think, what we call his state of utter humiliation. Right. This is a guy who spoke into existence the, the oceans. Water's not a problem for him, but he has, he has laid aside all of his divine prerogatives to save us. Yeah, this is Philippians 2, where it talks about Christ, although he is by nature God, literally emptied himself and was found in the form of a servant and was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. It doesn't get any lower than this. And the the flip then in Philippians is, therefore, God has exalted him to the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And yet none of these cross-references are even on their radar. They're not letting Scripture interpret Scripture. They think that the real cash value in these texts is not Christ's vicarious suffering, not his emptying of himself, not the mystery of the incarnation, as other passages of Scripture talk about, but the real cash value of this is in giving an example that you can follow when you're having a no-good, very terrible, bad day. What's next, Chris? All right, next we're going to hear from Lane Schranz, and he's going to talk about what Jesus meant when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the middle of the day, the scriptures tell us that at about noon, Jesus' situation got even worse because darkness fell. And I can only imagine what the people around were thinking, because now all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, the sun goes away, and, and there are probably some people going, oh, maybe, 
oh, maybe he was God because this has never happened before. Like some little revelation happening there. But, but here is Jesus already suffering. And maybe you feel like this when you've been suffering and you're in the midst of tragedy and you're, you're feeling hopeless or alone. And then you feel like and on top to top it all off. Now it gets dark. And it just seems to go from bad to worse. Jesus hung there in the dark for three hours. And he makes a statement that I believe we can identify with more than anything else that he ever says. Because I think we've all wanted to say it. Some of us have said it. But some of us really haven't felt the liberty to say it. I, I, was, I was raised in church. And uh, I, I never thought you could ever question God. I never thought you could have the freedom to express your true feelings to God out of reverence and fear of God and and a respect for him. But we're looking at what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. He says this powerful statement in darkness on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment... Jesus sets an example and he gives us permission to question God. Because even the son of the living God, who was fully God himself, but also fully man. I don't know that anything else he ever said was so human as that statement. He's identifying with us and he's showing us a powerful truth. And that truth is that we can aim our hardest questions at God, not man. Chris, you got a minute to begin a response before our break. I, I, I almost feel like this is self-refuting. I mean, it's like really you you really think that Jesus was setting an example and giving us permission and teaching us what we really need to do is we can we can now take our our most difficult questions to God rather than man. I mean, that's kind of like ridiculously obvious just read the psalms the psalms give us this permission already like psalm 13 you know how long O lord will you forget me forever you know i mean that's how psalm 13 begins and i mean it's like these guys have literally conspired together to say we can't preach what this text is really about so let's all unite together and we'll just create this huge smoke screen and make it look like it's about anything other than what Jesus is really doing bleeding and dying for the sins of the world that's the only way I can describe what's going on here Pastor Chris Rosebro is our guest pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo Minnesota and host of the daily internet talk show called Fighting for the Faith. It's This Week in Pop American Christianity today. Some examples of twisting the passion narratives of Christ. He's got one more example with us and some wrap-up conversation on the other side of the break. Then in Hour 2 of Issues, etc., Pastor Mark Serberg joins us to, to talk about the strong association that's been made in Lutheran congregations traditionally between Palm Sunday and Confirmation. Is there any theological reason for it? His answer in a word is no. So why have we made the association? Then Pastor Matt Harrison joins us to talk about the resurrection of Christ and of the Christian. Stay tuned. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc.
It is the greatest adventure you could ever possibly imagine. It's demanding, it's hard, it's challenging, and what a blessing it is. Dr. Larry Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, on why a man should consider the vocation of pastor. And it is an incredible blessing to be honored with the opportunity to work with these incredible young men uh, and older men uh, as well who uh, are committing themselves to the proclamation of God's Word, the right distinction of law and gospel, and to uh, take the good news of Jesus Christ into all the world. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Forming servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's This Week in Pop American Christianity. Pastor Chris Rosebro is our guest. We're going through some examples of twisting the passion narrative of Christ. Pastor Chris Rosebro is pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and host of the daily internet talk show called Fighting for the Faith. He's also a graduate of Concordia University, Irvine, California, where they offer a Master of Arts in Theology program for academic, professional, or personal development. The courses are taught online and at intensive on-campus sessions in the summer. Apologetics, Christian education, leadership, and Reformation studies are just a few of the emphases offered. For more information, visit cui.edu slash theology. Chris, uh, one more thing on that last one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Before we go on to our last example, he did say at first, we can identify with Jesus. And I thought to myself, well, that's got it really backward, mm-hmm. obviously. And then at the end, he did say he identified with us. But I get the sense it's not in the same way that you would emphasize that point. Uh, no, actually, like not even close. First of all, I mean, let's consider the magnitude of what is going on here. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of the Father, literally suffering all of our sin laid on him and God literally is turned away the sun is even darkened creation itself can't even look on what is happening here and Christ cries out and this is what's called the cry of dereliction he cries out my God my God why have you forsaken me and this really begins to you know to get at the heart and the magnitude of what our sin has wrought and what it takes for us to be saved and li- you can literally put it in these terms you, you think of johann gerhard in in his meditations on the sufferings of christ literally says that christ was forsaken by the father so that we would never be forsaken and you'll notice that uh, what Elaine Trans here has done with this text is turn it into some kind of psychological emotive thing that, you know, Jesus is experiencing the emotion of being forsaken. That's kind of like, I, I, I don't even know, how, it's like getting lost on a pine needle and missing the entire tree. I mean, 
sure you can say he's psychologically experiencing forsakenness and we too feel this way too when we're going through suffering but that that's like missing the whole point altogether I mean, it, it, it's not that Jesus emotionally experienced these things, and so he can somehow relate to us in the midst of our you know, feeling forsaken by God. Sure, that might be a tertiary or like even a fourth thing down here, but that's like not even the point of what's going on. There's other passages that make it clear, that clear passages that actually talk about the fact that Christ has experienced and been tempted in the same ways we have and yet was is without sin and because of that he understands our our weaknesses and things like that but Christ's cry of dereliction from the cross is not where you go for that it's an actual different passage in the New Testament and like I said it before we went into the break it's like these guys literally sat down and say how can we figure out a way to not talk about what this text is actually saying you brought one more example. Yeah, and uh, I, this is, again, just mind-bogglingly bad. When Jesus is talking to the thief on the cross, what was that all about? I'll let Chris Hodges explain. And today we're going to study the second statement that he makes. And if you've ever seen the cross scene, you probably have already always seen them in three crosses. And that's because Jesus, of course, he had a bad day that happened to coincide with a couple other people's bad day. Two other criminals were there uh, hanging on the cross. And here's what the Bible says is that one of those criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. And he said, aren't you the Christ? Why don't you, why don't you save yourself and us? If you're all that, why don't you get us all off of here? But the other criminal rebuked him for that. And he says, don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this guy, this man, he's not done nothing wrong. And then Jesus, then he said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, remember me. He reached out to Jesus, realizing that Jesus probably understood what he was going through. And I want to just pause right here. I highlighted these two words for you, because I think there are scores of people around us that maybe we haven't even recognized that are saying, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I need some help. There are people around us who are wanting to be remembered. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then here's the statement that Jesus made, second statement that he makes on the cross. And he said to that, to that criminal, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. What I love about this statement is, is that you would think really Jesus was in no condition to help someone, but right there in the middle of his own struggle, he realizes, check it out now, he had a fellow struggler. He had someone else who's going through it, and then he now teaches us really the second principle that if you try it, I double dog dare you to try this, it actually works in an amazing way to help you through your own bad day. And that is write it down. And that is to help others who are experiencing your same struggle. Like it really is a powerful principle that all of us can learn is that when our bad day, when we're having the day, a bad day to actually, instead of focusing on ourselves, to look for someone else that we can help and someone that we can touch. So uh, what should he have done with that particular part of the passion narrative, Chris, with about a minute here? Uh, yeah, you'll note that the uh, that particular thief on the cross confesses his sin and his need to be forgiven and humbly asks for Jesus to remember him, and Christ absolves him and grants him eternal life, while the other guy on the cross uh, dies in unbelief. 
this I mean you can kind of put it this way the two different thieves on the cross are kind of a microcosm of all of humanity we are one or the other thief if you would and I mean there's so much that you can draw out from that regarding our own sin our own unbelief and how this fellow although he was dying as he says as he deserved that Christ absolved him and him rather than getting what he deserves he is given eternal life as a gift this is a fellow that is the epitome of salvation by grace through faith alone and you can just preach it from what's going on there and instead of gospel he turns it into law and says when you're going through a really bad day just like Jesus he was suffering crucifixion on his worst day and yet he found somebody else who was being crucified too oh, what a coincidence and he decided to reach out and help him and from that we've learned that to overcome your bad day if you you got to find somebody who's suffering the same way you are and reach out and help them and that's the real thing of what was going on there I mean I, I don't have words for this kind of blindness um, this is stubborn obstinacy and a ref refusal to preach the cross which at its heart really shows a tacit unbelief that Christ really did finish on the cross our salvation and that salvation is by grace through faith alone that's the only explanation that I can think of where you take a text that is pure gospel and turn it into nothing but law Chris what kind of teachings in pop American Christianity are you going to be refuting tonight on fighting for the faith we're going to be looking at uh, the verdict that came down in Singapore regarding the vision casting leader Kong Hee who today was sentenced to three and a half years in prison for uh, misappropriating fifty million dollars of church funds in order to make his wife into a secular recording artist you can listen to Chris Rosebro and fighting for the faith right after the live broadcast of issues etc in about 45 minutes at piratechristian.com piratechristian.com pastor Chris Rosebro pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo Minnesota and host of the daily internet talk show fighting for the faith. Chris, thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you, Todd.